Welcome to the Raven Precision Podcast. In this episode, we talk about fall anhydrous ammonia application, specifically using the Raven AccuFlow NH3 cooler systems. I'm joined by Lance Malenke, our technical service supervisor, Gary Esselink, one of our precision ag specialists, and Nick Michael, one of our staff design engineers that works on the AccuFlow system. This is a pretty packed episode, uh, but just to kind of give you some of the high points, uh, first and foremost, we get into safety, safety, safety with using NH3. Then we get into some of the considerations for fall application, uh, as well as some of the new advancements in our coolers, uh, most notably a stainless steel option, which is going to be beneficial if you're if you're tank mixing with a nitrogen stabilizer such as NSERVE. We get into some of the new features with these systems, as well as how they can incorporate with the Raven Rate Control Module, or RCM, and Sidekick Pro Injection. Then we wrap it up with some troubleshooting tips for some of the more common issues that can be seen out there. Between the three of these guys, there's a wealth of information on anhydrous ammonia application and the AccuFlow system overall. I was taking a ton of notes during this conversation, so you probably won't hear too much from me, but uh, these guys definitely know their stuff. So with that said, we'll just jump into the conversation with Nick, Gary, and Lance. With fall AccuFlow application, where did you uh, think we wanted to start? Let's start some of the basics. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about fall application, uh, some things to get in mind for AccuFlow, mm-hmm. things to keep on our mind. We'll probably uh, wind up toward the end of this talking about some of the new changes we've had to our AccuFlow lineup over the last couple of years. So kind of want to start out, you know, just kind of some of the basics of AccuFlow. Uh, and anhydrous in general, you know, we don't want to be a safety class, but it's a product you got to be real cautious around. You you don't want to push somebody who's uncomfortable working with the product into testing and checking stuff on the system. Um, from a server standpoint, I I always say if somebody's not comfortable on that end, I'll wait till somebody that is comfortable can get there. I don't want to risk somebody because it can be a very dangerous product, and it's something if you open the wrong thing up or break open the wrong plumbing without bleeding that out can be very dangerous in a very mm-hmm. short time frame. Uh, so one thing we got to keep in mind with anhydrous, it is a, a gas most of the time, but we want it to be a liquid to control it correctly. And we do that by a combination of temperature and pressure. Um, anhydrous can boil at a really low temperature, about 28 degrees below Fahrenheit if there's no at atmospheric pressure. But if we increase pressure on that, we can have that as a higher temperature. So it's a combination of that temperature and pressure to keep that in a liquid form uh, so we can accurately measure that. And then once it gets out to the distribution, then it can go back to a vapor form once we've measured it. But uh, we definitely need to keep that liquid through the app, through the control part of the system into the, into the flow meter for sure. And I would just like to add uh, to Lance here, not the... You know, the safety part, always make sure you have, you know, your goggles, your gloves around. Fresh water. Uh, plenty of fresh water. Also to uh, make sure you're upwind of everything, mm-hmm. your equipment that you're running. Uh, we do have uh, standard uh, bleeding procedures in our operator's manual, and we say that you follow them implicitly. Uh, do never assume that once you uh, 
even if the gauge reads zero, do not always assume that everything is completely bled out. Make sure there's no frost on any areas of, of the cooler and uh, any uh, of the components that you intend to service. And also, it should not be cold to the touch anymore because if it is, there still may be a danger of some residual uh, gas that may be present. Okay. So those and are things we have to One thing to be aware of, too, is depending on our older systems to our newer systems, those bleed-off procedures are different and the timing is different uh, based upon if you have an older AccuFlow system or a newer Vortex system. So yeah. something to be aware of. Yeah. One of the big things, uh, as Gary mentioned, you want to make sure even you want to make sure at the start of the season and periodically and preferably in between every tank load you actually verify that your pressure gauges on your system are functioning um, that is a critical point um, either a pressure gauge or pressure transducer just have something to reference to your tank when your tanks are open uh, what your gauge pressure is so that you have some idea of when you're bleeding the system off if you do have pressure in the system now there's going to be uh, you know, obviously gauges can fail at any point. They're a mechanical device, but um, you always want to treat the system as it as if it were full and pressurized. Um, but you want to make sure that you're you're checking some of those those devices periodically so that you know, or at least have some idea that yes, there is pressure in the system. Um, when you're bleeding the systems off, you'll hear that audible hissing uh, coming out the out the bleeder ports. Um, you'll see, you might see some white vapor, uh, going into the atmosphere or you'll see, um, items frost up because they're evapor the liquid that's inside of them is evaporating off. So they're getting really cold really fast. Uh, but the main thing, like we said, is you always want to make sure that you do bleed off the entire system, uh, correctly before you disconnect and before you transport, um, anything so that you have nothing in the system we don't want. Systems driving down the road, systems sitting for extended periods of time, fully charged because you never know what's going to happen. Somebody can walk up and, you know, not be paying attention and bump a lever or hit something and, and uh, unexpectedly exhaust anhydrous. So the main thing is make sure that the, the system is always bled off. Make sure you're wearing your personal protective equipment and following all your uh, local and state regulations uh, to make sure that uh, you're properly trained and you know what you're doing uh, with the product because it can be dangerous if you're not uh, not well versed in what you're doing. So. It's something that everybody works with, and we're not saying that it, it can't be, but it's just we have to exercise caution in the proper steps in order to be able to work with it. So be alert and know what what the dangers are of the product and the systems. Yeah. The other thing is too, even when we're uh, you know Lance. Uh, when we talk about pressure, Lance and Nick both talked about that. But, you know, we with the cooler itself, if you get the cooler, we'll have the correct plumbing. Uh, but anything beyond or proper before that, we have to make sure that the proper plumbing is being used too. So the, the uh, pipe material should always be Schedule 80, which mm-hmm. is uh, a standard equipment and required by the National Anhydrous Ammonia Board. But that's like uh, Schedule 80 is able to withstand 350 to 400 PSI, if I recall, somewhere in that neighborhood. So it's got plenty of, uh, you know, pressure resistance, and those are the things that mm-hmm. you have to use. We can't use anything brass or plastic, PVC or copper, anything like that. So those are things we have to be aware of, too, on the safety side. And any of the hoses that we use, make sure they're NH3 rated. Make sure they're rated for the product. Don't just buy a hose because you think it's good. Buy, buy one that's actually rated and also... 
take note of the date code on those. Those have a date code that expires, so make sure your hoses are within a date range. If they are expired, it'd be a good thing to look at to getting them replaced. Uh, well, Gary, you bringing up plumbing, it kind of helps us move into our next point where we're talking about, well, first off, I, before we start talking about adapting to old plumbing, let's just kind of get into what those uh, recent cooler changes that we've had. Over the last couple of years, we've had a fair amount of changes in our uh, line of products for doing anhydrous. Uh, a few years back, we came out with the Vortex cooler, uh, higher capacity and a smaller footprint than our traditional dual coolers that we had. Um, with that, we've moved forward and added more onto the Vortex line. Uh, we've got rid of our traditional standard 30-gallon-per-minute uh, AccuFlow cooler. That has been discontinued. Uh, but we have a couple different variations of the Vortex to replace that. Uh, it's going to give you more capacity in the same kind of footprint. Uh, we got some different options if you got a lower capacity needed. We do have the Vortex 1-inch valve kit. Uh, gives you the capacity of the cooler, but the smaller plumbing uh, for those other ones and a little bit of a lower price point. Uh, we also have a retrofit kit. To, so if you had a super cooler on there or an AccuFlow cooler, uh, we could adapt a new Vortex to it in case you needed to replace the cooler. If something happened to it, it got damaged, leaked, or, or rusted through, uh, we do have that option. So you don't have to scrap your system and start over. We can adapt onto the existing ones there. Uh, the newest thing we've added onto there is we've got a stainless steel option on the Vortex. Uh, that really helps uh, prevent corrosion in those people that uh, have the availability or, or the way of doing the NSERV or nitrogen stabilizers that are tank mixed. Uh, it's a great product for what it does, stabilizing that nitrogen, but it's very corrosive. Mm-hmm. So you get that into your tanks, you're going to create rust. You get that into coolers, you're going to create rust, and rust creates pinholes, which then defeats the purpose of the system. So... Uh, we, we've heard a lot of people out there that want that option, and we came out with that option this year for them. Um, it's not a, a large cost increase, but for those people that need that protection of a stainless steel, uh, I think it's a great option for mm-hmm. them. It's, uh, about a, it's about $150 more for the stainless steel yep. kit. So from the outside, it's going to look the same, the cooler is, mm-hmm. but it's on the inside. So it's that stainless steel inner tube and the encasement around it that's yep. stainless. So it's the main component parts for the main flow of the, the uh, AccuFlow, uh, and, and, or, I mean the anhydrous flow. And, 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 and those are the parts that's critical. It takes that abuse from when there is a tank mix of a nitrogen stabilizer, helps you where the, those high-use areas where that corrosion can really set in and cause a problem. Is there much of a, I don't know if we want to get into this, is there much of a trade-off in uh, capacity with uh, the stainless option? Uh, uh, there's no, very little. Uh, we've run some field tests, and Nick, maybe I'll defer to you on that. Yeah, uh, depending on what the setup can be, it can be anywhere from 5 to 15% uh, loss capacity, but in most cases you don't even notice it um, because mm-hmm. on those higher rates where you might you might start to notice a little bit of a lag, uh, you're going to, in a lot of those cases, use a pump anyway or mm-hmm. use a pump with okay. the system, so the, the degradation in performance um, just really isn't, isn't very noticeable at all. Um, so they're there for that $150 more. The the additional uh, maintenance or the, the lack there of the maintenance, the the more resistance to corrosion, the thing's going to last you a little bit longer. Uh, it's well worth it. Yeah. I think one of the things, you know, for those who are have a current dual cooler system and they're looking, you know, and they say that's becoming more outdated, one of the things that they're looking at is we replace it for a vortex, especially stainless steel. Am I going to lose capacity mm-hmm. with a single cooler? And from our tests that 
we still are able to exceed that capacity of the old dual Main, Maintain or exceed it. Yeah. Right. And one, a smaller footprint. Yeah. And one of the other things that uh, Lance brought up, you know, so we go to the one-inch valves. So everyone's looking at the old 30-gallon per minute cooler and say, well, we had an inch and a quarter valves. Uh, now you're going to one inch, so am I diminishing my capacity? And the answer is no, because the ball inside the valve itself is exactly the same size. Right. The inch and a quarter uh, valve had a seven-eighths ball, as does the one-inch valve. And we feel the one-inch valve is a bit more uh, durable, a bit more uh, weather-resistant, just does a better job of, of uh, what we want to accomplish. So that's why we shifted over to the one-inch versus the current inch and a quarter. So, so the control part is still the same. It's just the packaging around it is the difference. Yeah. So you're not reducing capacity at all by going from an inch and a quarter to a one-inch. You're maintaining that same capacity. There's a couple other things that we've added. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's new, and that's uh, a refrigerant line strainer. Uh, we put a strainer, it's a uh, quarter-inch strainer right in the refrigerant line. It looks like a mini strainer that you see prior to going into the cooler. And what that does is it grabs any debris that may have formed within the system as you're applying and uh, collects that so it doesn't go into the orifice leading into the vortex cooler. So uh, we're, it's it's a maintenance issue. It it it's ease of uh, servicing. You don't have to try and take that orifice out or dig any debris out. You know, when you're on your refrigerant line, it, it, that takes that out in itself. And that's an optional piece that can be added on to most any system. Right, right. And then probably the other one is the one we just um, also released this uh, summer, and that is our liquid vapor monitor. And that is the monitor that we take the temp gauge out basically is what we do on the current Vortex system when we uh, put this uh, vapor, uh, liquid vapor monitor in there, and it determines the amount of uh, liquid or vapor going through. So it, for those who have uh, looked and seen this uh, vapor, non-vapor graph that we always mm-hmm. have in every manual, there's a line. That's basically what that does. It reads off that line. And if it's a positive, that means we're getting pure liquid running through. If it's a negative... We're running vapor through the system, so it's a uh, very uh, good, you know, instead of guessing, mm-hmm. and are we getting uh, vapor or liquid that will tell you that. And But it the one thing is it is available on the Raven RCM only, the Raven control okay. monitor. It is not, it's, it has to be programmed yeah. as such. So it, it automates that piece of, you know, reading the temperature and the pressure, looking at the chart and seeing which side of that graph I'm on. It automates that real-time and displays it through the UT of the RCM. All right. I think those are the things that we've got, you know, as far as uh, the new features that are coming. Uh, like I said, the, the vapor monitor, I think, is a, is a nice enhancement to what we're trying to do. Uh, too many times we'll see operators, they want to run their tanks empty, and that probably goes back to just general overall application. You know, we, the tanks are weighed every, anyway, so our uh, recommendation, we try and always leave at least 5% in the system. We've seen too many issues of guys trying to uh, run their tanks empty. You will super spin your bearing and your flow meter, and you can end up wearing the bearing out in the flow meter. But plus the practical application is you're not getting uh, anhydrous applied for a certain uh, mm-hmm. number of feet. Yeah, you're relieving the pressure, but you're not bringing product out. Yeah, so you're you are not getting the amount of NH3 that you want on your uh, application. So try and use that uh, low tank monitor or the uh, 
the low tank uh, warning on your whatever you have. That goes all the way down to the 440 or 450. Try and use that and uh, go according to weight and try and keep about 5% in your tank when you're done. Another place I think that uh, vapor monitor could be very helpful is on those cool days when you're applying into the season and you're, I can tell you when you're trying to, when you're outrunning your system, if you get those low tank pressures on those cold days, it could give you an indication before you're seeing a problem with your rate so you can make those adjustments accordingly before it's a bigger issue. I think it's going to be a great help and like an enhancement to the system for that, that application. Yeah. Talking about cold applications, we still have our pump option, the HP Plus for the Vortex. We, did, we haven't mentioned that. That's been out for a while. Uh, Nick mentioned it a little bit earlier. We, we can put those pumps on there to get that boost to help us get those capacities that we needed in those challenging conditions. When you got those big bars, the higher speeds, the cold temperatures, or combinations thereof, uh, that pump can kick in on an as-needed basis and, and help us achieve those rates that are desired. Yeah, the main thing with the pumps or anything like that, though, is if you're if you're spending the money on a pump and you're spending the money on a, a beefed-up Vortex system or something on a, on a toolbar, you want to make sure you're also spending the money on the tanks as well. So you want to make sure you're, you've got uh, inch and a quarter, inch and a half plumbing at least um, coming from the tanks. Um, you know, no dual more. tanks. Yep, dual tanks especially. Inch and a half plumbing is, is preferred, especially with uh, pump systems, um, just from the simple standpoint of, uh, being able to feed that that uh, toolbar the product that you need, you know, you're you're not going to see the benefit of the pump. You're not going to see the benefit of the vortex system without also uh, making sure that your plumbing is adequately sized from the tank. Um, a lot of these older tanks, you know, there's a lot of co-ops and a lot of farmers out there that might have old tanks and and small plumbing and things like that going up to them, and they're just not going to see the benefit um, of that additional capacity. And of that additional, um, specifically in cold weather conditions where, you know, you're, the system's having a hard time keeping up anyway. Uh, but if you increase the plumbing size, uh, increase your withdrawal valve size in your tanks, um, make sure that you're, you're getting to that at least inch and a quarter, but for sure inch and a half, if at all possible, so that you can adequately feed that system so you can see the, the true the true benefit of the whole thing. Like anything, you're only, a str- only as good as our weakest point. If you've got a restriction in your plumbing or your tanks, we can't overcome that with a better cooler or a better pump. Mm-hmm. So we're only as strong as the weakest point. So if you've got a strainer that's plugged or a breakaway that's not seated or some bad hoses or a small tank valve, we can't overcome that. That's things we've got to look at at the overall system if you're running into performance issues. Yeah. And a lot of times that's something that's just assumed. You know, we know uh, cold weather does affect the flow of anhydrous and the, one of the reasons is is because uh when the weather gets colder the pressure in the tank itself drops you know that's just the physics of nh3 that's what happens so uh, a lot of times when the weather gets cold somebody will drive and the rate will start jumping around a little bit well the easiest uh thing to check out without even getting out of the tractor you know checking anything is try slowing down two to three miles an hour see what happens you know if you're your rate levels off, then you know you were probably trying to pull NH3 or anhydrous ammonia out of that tank faster than the pressure within the tank would allow for. So you start pulling air, and then we can start looking at other things. You know, is this when was the strainer last checked? What's the status of the hoses and and the tank valves? You know, does it change when you put a different tank on it? You know, was it working good? I put this set of tanks on, I'm having a problem. 
you know, is there something associated with a tank? You can start doing some of that troubleshooting at that point. But like Gary said, slow down a couple mile mm-hmm. an hour in a cab. It's an easy way to say, do I have a bigger issue or do I need to start looking at some of the other things? Yeah. Or is it just the weather and the environment and my rate, that yeah. combination impacting it? And my troubleshooting days, that was always the first, because it was the easiest thing to do. Now, it isn't right. always the most. Uh, <laughs> they don't always want to not, slow not down. the most well popular yeah. thing to do to tell somebody they have to slow down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like an easy you said, it's just how it is. We, like Nick alluded to and the other things, it's how it's fed, but it's also the, just the physics of NH3. It's mm-hmm. just how it works. So that would be number one, and then we can go on to the other troubleshooting steps from yeah. there. And give us a great idea of where to, what to eliminate and what to look into. Yeah. And that's why, you know, if you get to that point, if you have an RCM and you can put this liquid vapor monitor on, that'll tell you real quick what's going on and what's mm-hmm. happening. You know, that'll tell you. You might be able to see that on the screen before you even notice a problem with your rate. You'll be seeing right. when you're, you're working that edge of that curve. Yeah. yeah. Starting to starting to go yeah. bad. You can watch it. Yeah. So. Well, Lance, you were talking about tank mixing earlier with NSERV. Yep. Do you want to get into just the ability to use injection for that? Yeah, so if you're not doing a tank mix and for a nitrogen stabilizer and you don't have the stainless cooler, we do have the option of our Sidekick uh, to work with our different systems. we got our Sidekick Pro and our CAN, our ISO and our ICD, depending on what product controller you're using. And that can keep that nitrogen stabilizer out of the cooler, injected after the product's been measured. That way um, it keeps your inside of your cooler clean. It's only anhydrous. There's no nitrogen stabilizer. You don't get that mm-hmm. corrosion problems. Uh, you don't get that contamination and buildup that you can over time. So it's a great way to isolate that. Um, one thing to keep in mind, though, too, is wherever you're getting your tanks from, if they're not tank mixing for you but they're tank mixing for somebody else, that residue is going to be there. So then you might still want to look at a stainless cooler, but if you mm-hmm. still want to inject to control that product of your nitrogen stabilizer separately, the Sidekick Pro is a great companion to the AccuFlow and as more areas are requiring the nitrogen stabilizer, requiring use of that to save that end for the, for the mm-hmm. season so the crop can have it, uh, we're seeing more and more use of those sidekicks in conjunction with them. And especially if you're doing a, if you're uh, one of the more advanced applications where you're doing a variable rate application of anhydrous ammonia, tank mixing anhydrous with NSERV doesn't actually help you. Uh, because of that, you're you're mixing a ratio, and with NSERV and a lot of these nitrogen stabilizers, you're actually wanting to put a certain amount on the ground all the time, no matter independent of what your anhydrous rate is. So if you're varying your anhydrous rate, you know, from 75 pounds to 150 pounds, and you're doing a tank mix, you're also varying the rate of your NSERV application, and you don't necessarily want to do that. You want to be applying the right amount of NSERV all the time independent of what your tank is doing, your anhydrous tank. So by adding injection, um, you can independently vary that rate of NSERV to make sure that the NSERV rate is right all the time yeah. versus what's going on with mm-hmm. your main carrier. Because like Nick said, if, if it was put into the tank at a rate of 75 uh, pounds per acre, so mm-hmm. and, we're, and NSERV rate uh, is... Generally, 32 ounces, you treat the soils, what they said. Mm-hmm. So 32 ounces, well, if you double that rate, now you're actually putting on 64 ounces. So you're, you're, putting, you're, putting, acre, so you're, put, you're putting on way more NSERV than what's necessary or required. Yep. Yep. So that's that's part of the reason why it's in a good advantage. And back to what I think uh, Lance touched on it just a little bit, but 
It is uh, hard on the tanks as well, you know, and, and not all are that way, but there are uh, nitrogen stabilizers out there that tend to be more corrosive than others. And, but some are, although very effective, can be corrosive. So it's hard on the tanks. Not, we're not just looking at the coolers itself. It's the tank wear and tear mm-hmm. as well. Any metal component that it comes in contact with. Correct. Yep. And most of those, you know, we talk a lot about NSERV, but there are a lot of other stabilizers out there that we've, we've actually tested with our injection pumps, and we're, we're pretty much compatible with everything that's commercially available on the market today. Um, and the other advantage of that is if you're not putting the NSERV or the nitrogen stabilizer in the main product tank, um, you're you're only maintaining the the injection pump and the injection pump system. You don't have to worry about you know are my are my baffles broken out of my tanks? Am I getting a lot of debris and stuff in my tanks and a lot of residue because um, it's just not there? You know you you're maintaining your injection pump that's on the toolbar and as part of your seasonal maintenance plan and uh, gives you some peace of mind that uh, you're not damaging those tanks or you don't have to worry about those tanks uh, degrading over time. Uh, because of the stabilizer. That is an accepted uh, practice in the NH3 community anyway, because truth be told, if you, before the uh, dicamba rush came in with application, I think Raven sold more injection pumps for anhydrous and nitrogen stable application than they actually even did on sprayers. Mm. So it's uh, a well-accepted practice in this industry. And as more states are requiring the use of nitrogen stabilizers, I think it's going to continue to grow. And due to the effects of tank mixing, you know, just, just the risk and the, the handoff, the trade-off you take by doing that, yeah, it's easy to put it in the tank and not have to have that extra equipment. But then you've got to maintain tanks. You've got to check your strainers more often because you get all that rust buildup. You cause uh, rust and corrosion in other parts of the system. So it becomes a, a, a you, you save a little time on your tank when you're mixing it but you're going to spend a lot more time and money later on maintaining the system to keep it going. That's another thing I've seen, too, is companies that do tank mixes, those first couple tanks out for the time that tank is out for the season, you get a lot of metal and stuff out there. So if your co-op or where you get your tank from does tank mixing, those first couple passes out, those first time those tanks are out, you might have to check your strainer more often. It doesn't become a seasonal thing. You could actually, I've seen it where it's plugged up a strainer in about, half a dozen tanks or so get enough metal filings that, that has mm-hmm. come loose and scale that has come loose. It's actually plugged up a strainer in a real short order. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you're, uh, especially with those strainers, because we are looking out for the control system, you want to make sure that, you know, you've got the magnets in the strainer, you've got the the screen that's in the strainers in good condition, and uh, sometimes it can be a little bit tricky getting that uh, strainer basket, that screen back up in the strainer and getting it, uh, you don't want it to crush in there you can kind of see if it's been put together wrong it's it's kind of got some deflections and some dents in it um, you want to make sure that that's that's looking good and clean so that it's doing its job to make sure that you're not getting um, rust particles in the flow meter and and getting stuff plugged up like your pressure transducers your gauges your pumps your control valves orifices uh, orifices yep mm-hmm. your your refrigerant lines you just want to make sure that you're not getting um, all that stuff in there in the first First point of defense for the whole system is the strainer. So keeping that in in good condition and checking that periodically is really a key to making sure that you're gonna you're gonna run successfully all season. Like with a lot of things, maintenance is key. Mm-hmm. The more you maintain it, the better it's going to take care of you. That's another good point of having that protective equipment with you at all times, just in case you're going to need to check it between 
a pass or something like that. Well, you never know when mm. something may fail, so you you right. want to have that protective equipment with you in the cab at all times. A lot of states are are requiring it. Uh, certain masks and mm-hmm. and the gloves and the water. Mm-hmm. It, that that's if you're out in the field with anhydrous, that should be a given. You should just have that with you. Yeah, and that's one of the nice advantages of the Vortex system. Is you know, and that's why we went. One of the reasons we went that way and discontinued the old 30 gallon per minute is uh, part of the bleed down part of it. So we do have a bleed down feature that you will have instead of, uh, if we go back to the old 30 gallon per minute cooler, we probably had to take a couple pipe wrenches and take the hard plumbing loose. Uh, we're right at the cooler. There's a bleed valve. Sometimes that's not always the most uh, advantageous place to reach. Uh, so when we got the new Vortex cooler, we have a bleed valve system where the bleed valve is located at the front of the toolbar. We open it up. It empties out through the vapor uh, chamber of the cooler itself and out the vapor tubes out the back. So you're always a distance away from any bleeding anything out. And uh, it's a big advantage. Plus, we use uh, the nice thing that we added with the new Vortex is the serviceability of the uh, groove lock fittings around mm-hmm. the flow meter as well. So instead of hard... Uh, Two hard pipe wrenches to take that plumbing apart. It's like a seven-eight socket, and probably less than five minutes to take that mm-hmm. apart and work with it. So it's pretty, pretty handy uh, as far as uh, serviceability. But it's also we feel it uh, keeps people away and the operator away from any vapor that could uh, come mm-hmm. about. Yeah, that, re- that remote bleed off on the vortex is a really nice feature. Yeah. So you can keep the operator away from where the product actually comes out. People are asking about if they will look at it, if they're used to the old flow meter with the NPT threads, this will have groove lock fittings for the groove lock mm-hmm. on it. But be aware of that also the internals of the flow meter are exactly the same. So right. it's not if they have to service the in, inner parts, it'll always be the same as the one is before. It's just the connection to the plumbing is the difference. Correct. Mm-hmm. Simplified that connection right. for maintenance. Yep. And then speaking about the NPT uh fittings to the groove lock that's part of that adapter kit that lance was talking about earlier yep so if you got that's an older cooler that has had a problem needs to be replaced uh that's going to be the npt national pipe thread fittings mm-hmm. uh we do have a kit that'll convert that over to the groove lock which is what the bottom of the vortex uses for a connection so if you have a system that needs the cooler replaced for some reason and you buy a vortex you're going to have to buy that kit to adapt that so we have that kit available so you don't have to basically scrap off your existing plumbing and valves and go to a whole new system. We'll allow you to marry that to an existing system to save you some dollars. Yeah. In, re- in reality, we could do either one. You know, yep. We can give you the whole plumbing of, with the groove right. lock if you want, yep. or we can you can keep the existing plumbing, and we do have an adapter that will go right to the NPT fittings on there so you don't have to uh, change anything other than plate taking the cooler out and putting a new comes one down so to, you can do either one yeah. what they want to do comes down what the status of your existing valves and plumbing is and flow Correct. meter you know are yeah. they worn down where i think i might want to replace everything and give myself a clean slate to start with again or well that valve is only a year old that flow meter is two years old i think i'm in good shape i'm just going to put the cooler on now if you've replaced some parts up to that point so we're going to give you the options mm-hmm. I think that covers a lot of the, the new stuff. You know, we've, we've had a fair amount of changes over the last couple of years with the AccuFlow, uh, some new products, some new capacities, some new features that people haven't seen in the past. You know, yeah. kind of excited for that stainless and that vapor monitor. I think those are some, some good features to have out there to really help customers out and help those applicators out. Right. Do we want to talk about any quick troubleshooting at all with 
out in the field, uh, what we have to worry about, or if we see some things. Uh, yeah, we could probably talk on a high level because yeah. I think I think we talked yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so if we start seeing vapor jumping around, what would you say, Nick, that we would look for on the, like that? Well, if you're seeing if you're seeing your rates and your your um, things jump around with your flow meter, like you say, uh, you know, the first thing to check real quickly is where am I at with my tank? Am I running out of, should I be running out of product or did I just get a new tank? Um, you know, if you're, if you're seeing, uh, if you're seeing that you, if you slow down a couple miles an hour, that things start to, things start to level out. Well, maybe you're just overdriving the system, mm-hmm. but if your rate continues to be sporadic, um, you might start to think about things like, okay, is my strainer getting plugged? Um, is my vapor port or my orifice getting plugged um, going back into my refrigerant line? Um, if those things look good, you know, the next place to look is possibly your flow meter. You know, have I got, uh, is my flow meter, has it been serviced lately? Does it got something in it? Is it sticking? Is it is it uh, getting wore out? Things like that. Those are just some of the simple, quick things to check. Um, but each one of these uh, typically requires you to bleed the full system down. So if you're checking one, you need to check them all at the same time just so you don't have to to shut your tanks off. And anytime you shut your tanks off and anytime you're bleeding the system, the first thing to do is shut your nurse tanks off. You stop the machine, get your nurse tanks shut off. Um, you can run out what you have in the system uh, by just continuing to apply until you're not seeing anything come through the flow meter or on the pressure gauge. And then start opening up your bleed valves. So you want to make sure that all your bleed valves on the system are open um, on all the hoses. And then start checking things. You know, check your strainer. What do your strainers look like? Check your refrigerant orifice. Uh, in this case, if you have a refrigerant strainer now, uh, you can look at that as well. Um, and then check your flow meter um, to see does it does it seem like it rattles around in there too much? Is the turbine is the turbine shaft, uh, you know, solid inside there? Or does it look like it's broke? Um, does the turbine spin freely? You know, just some of those quick, easy things before we have to start digging into some things uh, like, you know, is your, especially with older systems that aren't stainless, uh, do you have a leak inside of there? Do you have a seal or something inside of there? Um, but the common common issue that everybody's going to see at some point in the system, in the season is your rates going sporadic, and that can be anything from, I'm just running out of product in my tank to my strainers to something a little bit more intense. A lot of times before I like to uh, bleed the system down, I like to put the system into manual and see if I can get that to stabilize out in manual. If we go into manual and it's still jumping, that could point to the flow meter. If we go into manual and it stabilizes, it uh, could be a control valve issue too. It could be other things too, but it kind of helps us narrow things down before we bleed that system down and start checking components. I've even seen that. A guy said, you know, the rate is not working right and stabilized, and it can all go all the way back to the vapor tube right at the knife. And even that part can be plugged yep. with, uh, you know, with dirt or mud, mm-hmm. yep. those type of things. So just make sure that, you know, always remember that the way the cooler works, it's it's vapor, non-pressurized, and it's an exhaust tube. And so if there's anything, it does not have pressure, and if it can't exhaust, you are basically have a glorified piece of plumbing yeah. is all it is because it's not con- doing any conversion. We're not moving that, that yeah. moving that coolant product yeah. across there so that we're not cooling anything at that point. Yep. So Nick has always told me if I've asked him, does it actually get 28 below zero inside that cooler? And nope. can Go ahead, Nick. And tell nope. Uh, so we're just pulling enough heat off to get the, the anhydrous to condense back to a liquid. So depending on what the system pressure is, 
Um, that's going to dictate how much heat needs to be pulled back off of there to get it back to a liquid, uh, just enough to pass through the flow meter. So if it's, you know, if it's coming in to the control system or into the cooler as a liquid vapor mixture and um, it's at a certain temperature and certain pressure, um, the whole refrigerant circuit is just working to uh, cool that product back down enough just to get it back to a liquid. So that might be anywhere from, you know, it's only got to pull 5 to 10 degrees back out of it to get at the pressure that it's at back to a liquid form. Um, so no, it doesn't get necessarily to minus 28 um, it's only got to get back to wherever it's got to be to get based on that vapor curve, um, back to where it needs to be to, to get back to a liquid. Well, that minus 28 is an atmospheric and, yep. we, and if and we're no an atmospheric, yep. if we're an atmospheric in our tank, we're not gonna be able to put, push any product through. So yep. we're always working with some pressure, how much pressure dictates what that temperature needs to be. Yep. Now, uh, there are some other things, uh, kind of in between this troubleshooting, uh, portion and performance. Um, you have, uh, different size orifice options for your, uh, refrigerant line as well. Um, so if you're, if you're putting on extremely high rates, um, you know, you're trying to put on 300 pounds per acre at seven miles an hour, um, you're going to need, uh, probably less restriction in there. So you might have a larger orifice in your refrigerant line. Um, but if you're working in, uh, temperature conditions that are pretty high. So if you're at 70 or 80 degrees Fahrenheit outside just on, in a, a nice fall day or even in the springtime sometimes to where you've got a lot of tank pressure to work with, you want to make sure that you're not wasting essentially a lot of that uh, anhydrous as refrigerant. Um, so you want to make sure you can uh, you can size your orifice. And we have an orifice kit. You can, you can pick and choose which orifice uh, you want in there. Um, to kind of limit some of that refrigerant flow because really it's it's just dumping extra vapor onto those vapor rows um, that you might not necessarily need. So uh, depending on your spray or your uh, application conditions, you might want to uh, size your orifice either up or down um, to maximize your uh, efficiency of that refrigerant that you're using. Yeah, and always another way to uh, check to make sure you've got fl- good flow is to- I would like to see pressure gauges out at your manifolds because if you could do that, you can see what the pressure is. If it gets above 60, then you may have some restriction in your manifolds as well to restrict the flow. So that's something to know in the troubleshooting. I think that gets forgotten a lot when we're troubleshooting a system because we, you know, it's, it still needs free flowing from one end to the other. And it may be debris or something caught up in the manifold itself that well, restricts those, flow. Some of those distribution units have moving parts in there. And when you're using a nitrogen stabilizer, that can gum things up and cause an issue too. So that's something to keep in mind also. It's beyond our system, but it's something that Im- impacts the performance yep. of the application. Yep. And a lot of, um, you know, not necessarily all the time for fall, but for spring application um, where you'll you'll be using that nitrogen basically right away. Um, if you have that restriction in your manifold or if you have a, a plugged, excuse me, refrigerant line or a plugged, uh, vapor tube, you know, you might see some, some streaking in the field and, and crop heights vary a little bit. So, uh, you want to make sure that your distribution, your distribution looks good. Um, you don't have that restriction in your, in your, uh, plumbing and making sure that your hose lengths are all equal and you're distributed uh, across the, across the toolbar correctly. And just one more quick thing when we talk about cold weather is just the pump. 
itself, use of the pump. You know, we talked, we assume the pump, but, you know, the pump is, uh, it's an on-demand pump. It isn't something that is running right. constantly all the time. It's uh, something that uh, we gauge uh, with, we have to have a product controller, but we gauge and the message is sent when the flow meter is operating and the valve is wide open and we're still not reaching rate, it'll send a message to kick the pump in for compensation. So if we are reaching our full rate with the valve, uh, we don't have to have that pump going. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's I think, is what distinguishes us with how we use a pump versus other systems out there. It's an on-demand pump. So, All right. You good, Lance? Yep. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.